0: All right, so we're gonna we're gonna kick off. Uh, uh, we're gonna. ahead.
1: <clears throat> right? Go you know, I'm choking
0: up. Thank you for that little. <laughs>
1: Let's say, just, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that little teeny bit. But uh, we'll kick off. The, to, this is gonna be Exodus Part Two. Uh, we started off last week with Part One, and I'm gonna let you talk. so <laughs> you can't. I can't. <laughs> all
1: so. right, all right. So I'm gonna kind of pick up where Tom left off last week. Um, where Moses was in Midian. I'm terrible at pronouncing things, so just bear with my Sussex County language as I make up what some of these words sound like, because they're probably not all right. But um, we can kind of break down the book of Exodus, just kind of recap a little bit of what he did real quick, Um, kind of in three equal parts. So Moses spent 40 years raised in Pharaoh's palace. He spent 40 years in Midian. That's where he met his wife. That's where he learned how to survive, and you know these harsh climates in the wilderness, and then he spent 40 years leading the Israelites through the wilderness, right? So it's kind of cool when when you look at that and you see how his life was was split up. He really had no clue, no idea what was happening to him, what was going on. God really didn't give him a whole lot of a whole lot of big picture items. Sometimes he just kind of gave him little things, but when he gave him the burning bush in Exodus three, at that moment. He knew that he was called to do something. You know, Did he try to make some excuses? Sure did. He definitely didn't want to be the one to do it, but he took it and he ran with it knowing that that's what God had called him to do. In um, Exodus 3, I've got lots of scripture, so if you're ready for me, you got it? I think so. All right, we're going to jump right into Exodus 3, verse 14 and 15.
0: Verse 14 and 15 says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am, has sent me to you. And verse 15 says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, uh, the the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation.
1: Right. So God, he asked God, what, who should I say? is sending me. And what was his response? I am. I am. Right? And it's kind of cool when you think about that. In Hebrew, it means Yahweh. And the importance of that, and the reason why it's I am, it's kind of cool if you don't know. You know, remember when we had our first, I think the first Bible the Bible study we did on this one, Pastor mm-hmm. Curtis talked about how, you know, even though the Bible starts in Genesis, that's not exactly the order that everything went in. That was just the first book that was chosen for the Bible um, but this in, in Exodus 3 is the first time we see God giving himself a name for us to call him, right? Now, if you read through Genesis, though, you're like, well, wait a minute. He had names then. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses. So Moses. that's how he does have names in the book of Genesis as well is because Moses was the author. But I am is actually a pronoun and actually... If you go through history and you study and you read the different translations, it's kind of cool to look through the different translations of of what they say, what he says to call in Exodus three. Um, some scholars, you'll see some translations, it's all capitalized because this is God saying "I am," so it's kind of more like a reverent name. This man can give you like 5000 different names of God. He did a big old study. Do you want to add anything to that or you want me just to keep on jumping?
0: <laughs> well, I, I would just say for that the the part to me that's really cool and this is where I think um it's it's like there's so many things in scripture that are so simple, even like what we're talking about on Sundays, right? We're we're talking about who God is, right? And there are some elements and aspects to God that seem so simple, but at the same time there are just absolutely crazily complex. And this is one of those things because when God says that his name is I am, you're like, it's two words, you know, and two very little itty bitty words at that. But within the context of with God basically saying who he is, uh, there's so much that comes with that. There's just so incredible much. And so for me, um, I I love even with what you were talking about, where you said that he goes uh, through most of his life, not really know, knowing what to do or where to go or any of that, like just kind of like going through and I'm like, "How?" <laughs> that's you and I, like every single day. That's like, that's like 90% of my life. Right. And, but there are those clear moments, I think, where God shows up in our lives and gives us clear direction, kind of those burning bush moments to a certain extent. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's cool to know that in those moments, you can remember that. Guess what? He, he is, uh, he is who he always is and who who he always will be, you know? Yeah. So
1: So I'm going to give you homework and I'm going to give you homework right now because like I've been I've been studying Exodus and stuff. If you've not been reading it, I want to encourage you to read it cuz <clears throat> Pastor Curtis told me I had to get you guys through the rest of the book of Exodus tonight. <laughs> so I don't know if you realize that but there's 40 chapters and we're at chapter 3. Yeah. So we are like on a roller coaster ride tonight. Just FYI, (laughs) so I want to encourage you to definitely take time and read through the book. It's an amazing book. Some of this stuff, the Israelites, it's my favorite stories. It really are some of my favorite chapters and stories in the Bible, but we're moving on and we're going to move fast and I've just kind of pulled kind of maybe some nuggets that I think maybe not everybody knows about or different things to go over tonight. So challenge, read the book of Exodus, just one chapter at a time. That's all you got, you know, take it small steps, Um, but we're going to jump to chapter five And in chapter five, we see that Moses still doesn't fully understand how God plans on getting the Israelites free, right? How is he going to let this happen? But he's jumped on board. He's ready to do it. And there's two things I want to look at before we move forward into the next part that I think is really cool about Moses. So in Exodus 421, you know, we talk about where God is going to harden harden Pharaoh's heart. And I think sometimes we get stuck there. Sometimes, sometimes we just skim right over it and we keep on moving. Um, don't want to dive in a big rabbit hole, but I just wanted to hit it. Um, I'll ask you then, because I didn't know you were going to be here tonight. Why Why do we think that's in Scripture? What's that? That, that God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart.
0: That's a really hard question. I know answer. it is.
1: <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer. That's what I learned. Yeah, well, there's
0: no <laughs> right or wrong answer because we don't know, right? right. But I, I, I think... Um, I think some of it is almost like to to teach a lesson, to a certain extent. Um, but I also think that it it goes deeper and beyond that. Uh, to maybe even to the extent to where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, um, so that like through through these plagues, through what God is doing with Moses and through the people and through everything that's about to happen, this is a critical, fundamental bedrock moment for Israel okay like to this day we they still hold Passover that celebrates something that happened thousands of years ago now look Jesus was 2,000 years ago this is thousands a thousand years before that so this is thousands of years this is a a a really uh, serious bedrock moment where I think God is trying to like shake them and shake the world really to say hey when I said these were my people, I meant that these were my people and that if you kind of mess with my people, then guess what? There's going to be consequences of that. And hey, if you are my people, I need you to understand that there's going to be some things that are going to have to come out where you're going to have to learn to trust me. And, and for me, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's no. <laughs> the most solid. Does anybody else, uh, any, yeah. any other thoughts or ideas? Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Moses comes to him. Let you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa! Let my people go. uh. I knew you were gonna sing it.
1: I'm so happy. I was like, I'll have to sing it. He's here. (laughs) I think sometimes, like if if it starts out, I think the plagues get worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So I did. I I went into a rabbit hole. Curtis has been in Florida. He was. He's been doing, down with a hurricane, looking at our house and stuff. So I was able to go in some rabbit holes myself. And I did see that God actually doesn't harden His heart till after the sixth plague, which is mm-hmm. boils. Um, and what I researched was um, now these are from different scholars, different things. Take it all with a grain of salt, because I am no scholar by any means. So you can take what I say, and you can leave it. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But um, what I found was that it talked about that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God when God revealed through the plagues and Moses his power, his supremacy. 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 Yes, see, yeah, I can't right. talk. His love for his people and the hatred of sin. And the reason why, kind of like, BJ, what you were talking about, why his heart continued to be hardened after each plague and he got angered and angered is because we got to remember Pharaoh is just not your next door neighbor that you don't like because he doesn't cut his grass, right? Pharaoh was this really mean, arrogant. He was hard. He was this strict ruler. He's got over 1.5 million slaves, right? To him, he was God Mm -hmm. to the people below him. He was their God. And so all of a sudden now this, this other God has kind of come into town so Pharaoh's quick to anger, you know, and to him, the only answer that Pharaoh can give because now his credit, you know, his man, manliness, he's a man, his manliness is being judged and, and questioned. So he's going to say no. He's going to be quick to answer no, no matter what happens. Um, so that was kind of cool. That was my rabbit hole that I went down to. Um, the second thing that I thought was really cool, just real quick, even out of chapter five is what did Moses have with him? Do we remember? Staff. The staff the rod right and some of the studying I did said that of course the rod actually was very symbolic and it had its own meaning because he could have took anything else with him even though he was in the wilderness there was you know he had, his father-in-law I'm sure had all kinds of different things he could have took with him but he chose the rod right and so the rod at first represented failure to Moses because the rod would have had splendor yet he had given up being the son of Pharaoh And then he fled from from the murder and he took the rod and he became a shepherd in the wilderness. And now he's moved into Exodus. We've moved in. He's in front of Pharaoh and now he's using the rod and the staff as a sign of victory and determination and showing who God is. So I thought that was cool as he's taken this rod throughout his transition of who he is and how it's transitioned with him and symbolic um, all the way through. So there's another little side note I found that I thought was really cool. And you sung my song, which I wanted you to sing. Love that song. Um, So we know Moses and Aaron went several times to ask Pharaoh to let him go. We know each time there were the plagues that came after. And you can find all of these plagues starting in chapter 7 all the way to chapter 12. Um, Some of them, glad I wasn't there for. Uh, Well, I wouldn't want to have been there for any of them. Um, (laughs) But we're not going to really touch on any of them except for the last one, which you already started talking about. And that was the last plague. And if you don't know what that was, that was when they did come in, and all the firstborn died. I don't have, not killed, but they were yeah. dead. Um, I guess would be the right way to do it. But the, the ritual that was required of every Israelite is what Curtis mentioned earlier, which was Passover. Well, what we now call Passover. Um, but what they had to do was they had to take sacrificial blood, and they had to put it on the doorpost. Jewish historians recorded is what they did is they took a plant, they dipped it in the blood of of the lamb. If they didn't have enough money, I think there was two doves Mm -hmm. they had to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And then they would stroke the doorpost. First, they would strike it vertically and then horizontally, and it would even form a cross, which is pretty cool. And you can read that in Exodus 14, um, chapter 12, verse 14. It was the beginning of what Curtis talked about, which was Passover, that's still observed today. We still honor it. Um, most churches do, most religions do, actually.
0: Well, um, for, for me, it, it's just interesting not to take a ton of time on the plagues, because, I mean, we could probably spend 10, ten weeks on the, plague, the plagues yeah. alone just because there's so much happening. I mean, you got the blood uh, on the Nile at the beginning. Anybody, by the way, know why that was a big deal? Anybody know why, like, why would it be a shocking thing? First off, obviously it's shocking anytime you have blood that turns into water, right? Water uh, or into water it. into blood, you know, uh, opposite. But why do you think it was significant that denial, uh, like, that this happened there? Anybody got a good idea? Because they're only source of water or farming or something? Basically, farming water, it was basically like the lifeblood to their land. I mean, literally. I mean, it was what sustained everything. I mean, if you see pictures of uh egypt it's very deserty. you know what i mean so you you, you need that water to to survive and by the way I, what's that they bathed,
1: yeah, they bathed in it yeah they bathed
0: in it i mean every 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 aspect really came from that and uh and and like and then as you kind of as it escalates fathom anybody in here uh, fans of frogs no nope. when i was little like a little Okay, so you like you're okay with it? I, I mean, I'm okay with it, but like the infestation that they're talking about, I couldn't have handled. And then as it gets to gnats and flies, I just, I couldn't even, oh, I just couldn't even fathom what that would have been like. Uh, you know, as it, it just goes, gets worse and worse and worse. Obviously, to the death of the firstborn, uh, which is, which is crazy. And yeah, Passover, like I said, still, still celebrated mm-hmm. to this day uh, by. By uh, the Jewish people, and it's obviously a, a pinnacle holiday for them for throughout the year. Yeah.
1: Is that when people typically fast, or is that when they do the fast during the Passover? It's like, or is that like around?
0: You're like, thinking Lent, maybe?
1: I know, I don't know. I know a lot of churches do the fasting, and like they do it as a church.
0: Yeah, there would for be four, forty time. days typically of Lent. You would do that, which correlates with. Uh, Passover Easter because it's all happens Lent yeah, happens before it. it happens before Easter uh, and then obviously we we celebrate uh, celebrate Easter because um, uh, you got to remember the the whole thing that this all plays a really key role in the New Testament because Jesus is coming in when he's coming in they're coming in to celebrate that's why it was a big deal for Jesus when his trial his trial happens in the middle of the night and why does this trial have to happen in the middle of the night? Well, first off, they're trying to keep it secret among other people. But the problem was is they knew they had a religious holiday coming, and they weren't going to be allowed to do any official business. Everything had to shut down. So they were just trying to rush the process up. So it was like, let's get this done, let's get this done, let's get this done. Uh, so, so again, th- these are things that carry all the way from Moses' time all the way through into the in, into the New Testament and to today. So. Yeah. Yep, sorry. You fall off the stool, <laughs> all
1: right? All right. so we're going to transition out. Like I said, we could spend probably many, many nights talking about the plagues. The one last thing, though, and then we'll totally move away from the plagues. Exodus 14, verse 11 and 12. Do you got that? Or has anybody got Exodus 14, 11 and 12? In this manner you shall eat. I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what, stuck, what stood out to me that, that I thought was interesting, we talked about earlier, I talked about how Pharaoh, to Pharaoh in his own eyes and to his people, he was a God and what that scripture says to all the gods of Egypt. Something about judgment afterwards. I'm really bad at memorization. Sorry. But like I was like, so he broke it down. He put it in Pharaoh's own words. So he basically just said, hey, Pharaoh, you think you're a god. I'm about to put judgment on all gods. Like, he kind of made it, to me, I thought it was it was interesting. I was like, he just made it very plain and simple for Pharaoh to know, I'm coming for you, man. Like, and that's it. Small g gods. The small g gods. Not the, not the not big. Absolutely, g yeah. Right. Little g gods. Right. Yeah. Um, so we move through that. They go through the Red Sea. If you don't know the story of the Red Sea, totally need to read that because I'm totally skipping over that tonight. Um, The only part I want to get, because we are just like the Israelites, Um, it's probably why I like their story so much because even though it's crazy to think all this stuff happened, at the same time, I relate so much to it because they've just come through these plagues. They're free. And the very first thing they do as they're traveling through the Red Sea is they complain. (laughs) I'm just like, ah, that's me. I complain all the time. But they do, right? And it makes me just, again, I think it's why I like their story so much. Because there's moments when if I go to bed late, because last night's a great example. He wasn't home, so I stayed up working till like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Then I watched TV for an hour, and I fell asleep. And then when my alarm went off at 6 this morning, I was like, My life sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? I wanted to complain about that. And I can relate to the Israelites because you have all this good stuff, and then the one bad thing happens, and you're like, I want to go back that way. Um, And they did a really good job at always wanting to turn really quick because in the past, even though what they thought was hard Life was just so much better, and it would just yeah. be so much easier. You want to say something, don't you? No, I just oh. think
0: I, I think it's incredible to think that all of them. And remember, like when we think of the nation of Israel, sometimes we think of like a hundred people marching out to sea. No, this is like I got it. You got the population total, or what? I do. That? Well, what's
1: actually, it? I have. I don't have the total. It was three states of Delaware. It was three <laughs> million.
0: Yeah, it was so, three so, of Delaware. Yeah, so. So imagine this insanely massive group of people who have witnessed the ten plagues. They've been in slavery. They get sent out of it. They see the miraculous happen where this, the, the sea parts, they walk across on dry land. They see Pharaoh's army basically destroyed out of this. And we get over there, and the first thing we do is we whine, we moan, and we complain. I have the scripture, I think, that you wanted here out of uh, Exodus 14 where they, they tell they tell Moses get me read that go
1: ahead
0: it says they tell Moses uh, this is uh, Exodus 14 verse 11 I think uh, it says they told uh, they said to Moses was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us in the desert to die <laughs> yeah. like come on man what's going on we're gonna come on and he says uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt he says didn't we say to you in Egypt leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians it would have been better for us to die uh, uh, in the, uh, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert, and I'm just like, man, talk about ungrateful. <laughs> like,
1: but that's like, us too, yeah, though. I mean, how often? Yeah. So I think I think that's why I like them because I relate to them so much. Because I'm like, oh, I think I wouldn't want to be that way, but I think I would still be that way. Um, but it sets the whole tone for the rest of the book of Exodus. It really does, and and I can kind of feel why Moses strikes that rock later on. Um, we'll get to that, um, too. But So Exodus isn't just the whole story of this trip for the Israelites. It actually, the book of Exodus only takes us to Mount Sinai where we get the Ten Commandments and we get the requirements for the tabernacle. So that's kind of what I wanted to try to get focused on um, tonight. So we're going to look at their journey to Mount Sinai. And what we got to remember is they didn't go on a vacation either. Like we were talking about the grumbling and complaining. This wasn't a seven-day vacation trip. It wasn't a two-week vacation to Bora Bora. You know, this was in the desert. This was in the wilderness. Um, Exodus chapters 15 through 18 shows their whole journey to Mount Sinai. Um, And I want you guys to try to, as we're talking about, we relate to them, kind of put yourselves in their shoes if you can. All that they just came through, all that they just witnessed, because here's the thing. Scripture, really, the only thing we know that they were not a part of on the plagues was the firstborns. They still experienced gnats and flies and frogs. They still had to deal with blood in the Nile. They got out of that. They saw everything like Curtis just said, and now they've just journeyed. They were told to take everything they have and leave, but they still really didn't even know what freedom meant. They didn't know what that really even looked like yet because the, the people of Israel, 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 That were the slaves had been that for their entire generation. They did not know any different from what they had in Egypt. So it took about three months for them to get there. So yeah, it was roughly three million people. So it was the three Delawares or the state of Arkansas. That was my research that I found. Walking with them, with their kids, with their kids' kids, with their parents, with their animals, with their clothes, with every you know, anything and everything they could grab.
0: And one of the things that we didn't really even talk about here, and this is one of the things I think we sometimes overlook, because uh, they were very much in the way like of leaving Egypt. They were very much in the way of like, okay, Pharaoh is like utterly broken now that the first, his, his son's dead and, and everything's happened, so we, we, we need to go. But at the same time, if you read scripture, it actually talks about that they actually came away with Egypt with more plunder they they actually took stuff from egypt that wasn't really theirs because the egyptians were at this point so sick of them and just like take anything you want if you leave us alone because we have established that it's just like it's the bad of the bad of the bad like just go
1: yeah and we see that later i got some breakdown of the tabernacle of how much they were really carrying with them um but as we know you know Fun journey with, I don't like people that much, so I couldn't imagine traveling with three million people. No cars, Mm -mm. no air conditioner, Mm -mm. no radio or Mm -mm. cell phone, guys. Mm. Like, nothing. Yeah. Like, I'd be fighting somebody, probably. But that's just me, and that's why I have Jesus. So, (laughs) but that's what happened. Attitudes started to fly, and we see it in Exodus uh, 15, 22 through 25. They ran out of water. They got thirsty. They got thirsty really quick And they took up again To grumbling, to complaining Wanting God to provide Why oh why did you leave us out here A human can survive for three days without water And they were dying for it So Moses petitioned to God And they had water Right so God provided water So they filled up their water bottles And they move on They keep on trekking They're going down their journey They're no longer thirsty But now what are they? hungry because you can't have water and not have all the thanksgiving stuff we just talked about right (laughs) what happened we got hungry right so they have to have something to eat so in exodus chapter 16 there's a whole chapter dedicated to them wanting food being hungry and god supplying the need right if you read exodus 16 you find out that he provides manna and he provides quail right and he doesn't just provide manna and quail once a week, or even twice a week, every day and every night, they can go out and they can pick up and they can harvest. So they get fresh food. It's not even canned food. What?
0: Yeah. No, I, I was actually trying to think. Uh, I had actually looked up this up before and had tried to figure out a um, uh, a calculation of what it was, but of how many, how many, how much quail would have to fall from the sky to feed this many people and it was like miles thick of quail. like it was just so much quail that you couldn't even fathom like what it was uh to think and and of course the, you know the ol- the only problem you know the, the only problem with getting manna and quail right especially when it's coming every day is what happens to you you get sick of it. They still grow. It's like that. It's like that Thanksgiving turkey that you get, and after about the second day of looking at it, you're like, you know what? We got to find that's something. That's why we else only
1: celebrate it once a year. That's why. At it. Yeah.
0: That's and and what most of us probably we eat turkey that day. That's probably one of the few days out of the whole year we, we we actually eat a turkey. But so. yeah,
1: they did at the end of chapter six. They got tired of the quail and they got tired of the manna and they started grumbling again. And then you move on to chapter seventeen. And because they've been eating bread, what happens when you eat bread? You get thirsty again, so they got thirsty again, and instead of already knowing so God's already provided them with water they've seen him provide them with food they get thirsty and instead of praying and believing God to provide water, they complain again and they complain to Moses as the leader and they are in um seventeen verses two and four will you read that
0: seventeen verses two and four yeah Uh, 2 through 4. 2 through 4, sorry. uh, This is Exodus chapter 17, verse 2. It says, So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? In verse 3 it says, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And in verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord says, What am I to do with these people? <laughs> I think Moses at this point is like, what's the return policy? I don't know. Like, Can, right. we, can we send them back? Uh, what am I to do with these people? Uh, they are almost ready to stone me.
1: Yeah, so we start to see Moses getting, like he's still handling it pretty well up to this point, but you do see him starting to get frustrated with the people of Israel. Like He has, like we talked about, 3 million people. And they're all coming to him when they have problems. They're not going to anybody else. So if you jump over, if we move on to chapter 17, we see they end up having a people problem. Some of the neighbors aren't, you know, need to be taken care of. And we see God taking care of that. And they get right before they get to Mount Sinai, Moses starts to realize that he can't keep on. He can't keep on being the guy that everybody wants. He doesn't want to be president anymore. He wants to step down, he needs to make a change. He can't answer it all. And for once, he actually listens to his father-in-law, which I thought was great. I was like, go! See, men, listen to your father-in-law sometimes. Sometimes they need it. But um, he finally listens to his father-in-law. And in chapter 19, after three months, there's been three months, and maybe that doesn't seem like a long time. But again, no cell phones, no, no AirPods, no TV. You are walking with those three million people every day. So it's a long three months. They've made it to Mount Sinai. And in chapter 20, where we're going to take a little bit more time and kind of slow it down, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And that is actually the first step that the tribe, the nation of Israelites, have in becoming their own identity again. Um, And we read that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, of course, on top of the Mount. And while God was there, there was other laws and things that were spoken as well. And I think I have the Ten Commandments. My computer works.
0: While she's oh, trying, tiny. while she's doing that, does anybody know what what was the uh, the great advice that uh, Moses' father in law gave him? Does anybody know? I told him to share the, uh, the responsibility. Yeah. To give uh, some of the spirit to some of the power to um, members of the tribes, different <coughs> tribes, and let them help yeah. uh, run the, the uh, country as it was. Yeah, run the people. Because up to that point, can you fathom, again, if you're talking 3 million people, there is no outlet for that. So if you have a problem and you're Joe from the tribe of, you know, we have Benjamin or whatever, pick a tribe, and you got a problem... Well, there's no one for you to go to. Be like, man, now I got to go wait in line to go talk to Moses, and of course <laughs> Moses is sick of looking at people. So by the time you get to him, he's a little grumpy. <laughs> I'd be grumpy too. I got three million people we're trying to figure stuff out for. So uh, that uh, we 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 this is where the important critical observation of delegation comes in. Yeah. Anoint and appoint, and so make them go. So isn't there somewhere in there? Because it, uh, it
1: seems to me when I read it, it, it tickled me where God would say. um, these, these stiff-necked people that you brought in, that you yes. brought out.
0: Yeah, he's like, he's yeah. 100%. Moses is like, look. Moses gets
1: sick of them very quickly. Moses
0: line. is like, just take them back to Egypt at this point. I don't even care. <laughs> Let them go back. It makes no difference to me. I'm sick of them. <laughs> and uh, it, it, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let me just, just destroy Just them wipe
0: all. them all start, off. Yeah. I'll
1: start start fresh. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness he didn't, though. Yeah. None of us would be here. But he did. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's comical. I yeah. think that's why I relate to it again, because it, it really is. If you strip away what we have today as a society, I think we would be the Israelites. We would complain just as much as the. Oh, well, we, we do. do. Well, no, we like we hundred percent do. We, we do. do. Absolutely. <laughs> we that's do. If happens.
0: you don't believe me, listen to any politician. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cause that's all it is. It's all. This is not right This is not right. No, this is not fair. This is not right. And you listen to the average person. Uh, my favorite, which I don't recommend this, especially not for long periods, but listen to any talk radio and it all all it is i'll tell you what, yeah, i'll tell you what's wrong it, it's it's literally it, we, we are this people like 100% yeah, we are this this we are we are this that far m- away. mumbling groaning uh, <laughs> all that so
1: all right so i'm not going to spend a lot of time on the 10 commandments i think most people kind of know those generally whether you grew up in church or not at some point in time i'm sure you've heard them what i want to point out is now this is like king james version but you see a lot of shall nots. Right, So there's do not in just about every commandment. Kind of negative, not really uplifting all the time, but there was a reason why the commandments had to say shall not so many times. Because these were commandments, and if we, we've got to go back now and take a step back out of where they are getting those and look back through their history. Because where did sin start? With Adam and Eve, right? Before Adam and Eve, these commandments wouldn't have been necessary. Because they, there were no other gods. Murder, adultery, none of that was an issue. But the moment Adam and Eve sinned, sin started. And then each and every person after them were, was born into sin. So God had to explicitly say, do not, for us to understand it. Because it's man's natural disposition to do evil. And here's my example on that. And it took me a second to think of it, and then I was like, this is perfect. Everybody have kids in here? Everybody have siblings, have more than one kid. Did you have to teach your younger kid to beat up your older kid? Or did they just know?
0: It just <laughs> comes natural. It just
1: came natural, it right? It just
0: comes natural. My
1: youngest is so mean to my oldest. And I'm like, well, she didn't see me like being mean to him. I wasn't mean to my oldest. Like, it just came natural. So God had to explicitly say and break down, do not do these things. Because it's in our nature to do wrong. And they'd be wrong. So, that's my Ten Commandments spiel. We're moving on.
0: Can I, can I interject? Yes. Just, I'm sorry. I don't nope, want to. No, you're fine. We're, we're going to be close on time. I know. I, I think the interesting thing that I get out of the Ten Commandments too, and this is where, uh, especially if you read into um, uh, other other books, we start to get, like, deeper into the law, and it gets, like, super dry, mundane, and, like, there and are six hundred more
1: laws besides these ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just
0: a few more. And, and but but really, one of those things that happens is, and this is I guess the easiest way for me to try to explain because I know some people are like, well, then why do we have ten? Like, where did the so we get the ten? What what do we need the other ones for? So so basically, uh, this is God trying to instruct His children, like hey, like here's some here's some guidelines, like so he, here's some ways. To, draw, to be closer with me and not do your own thing and get yourselves into trouble and all this stuff. Well, then some of the other stuff that gets developed, especially by the time, fast forward into the New Testament with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other Cs that you get, right? And, and, and they've created such complex laws. Well, well, what are all those laws? What's the intent of? The intent of all of those is really to honor these first ten. Uh, there was a thing that Jesus got in trouble with about um, walking through a field one day and he takes the head of wheat and he starts breaking it open to eat. And they wanted to get on it because does anybody know what what uh, anybody know what what commandment he was breaking? Not, Not keeping the Sabbath holy. That's right. There was a whole bunch of rules that they developed around keeping the Sabbath holy. In fact, one of the rules that they developed around this was that you weren't supposed to be able to look at yourself and see yourself. Because you, you, if you were to see yourself, then you could be determined to say, Oh, my hair is just so, un-, and you decide to try to do something, and that's considered work. And of course, Jesus is like, Guys, I think you're taking this thing, and you've taken it and made it something totally crazy different. This is just God trying to basically understand and say, "Hey, uh, if you're going to be my people, I need you to understand what it means to be my people." And of course, um, anybody know which one they break before the Ten Commandments even come down, before the inks ever dry? Number one. Yeah. Is this when Aaron
1: takes? Yeah, on you and will have to know the God before you. you know, but, well, right.
0: I, I was going to say, really, Aaron, it's number two because by know, the time he know. comes down with the Ten Commandments, what have they already done? Be They've be already made an idol. It, it, God is like, this is why you guys got to get it wrote down. I mean, he's like, I'm trying to tell you, you got to write it down because if not, Moses is like, I was just gone for a hot second, and the next thing I know, I come down and the whole thing's gone, going crazy. So, but uh, yeah, I think the Ten Commandments are one. If you don't know them, you should at least learn them because uh, they're they're pretty good. You know that whole, you know, not committing adultery and not murdering people is probably a good thing to keep in mind, yeah, times. They're good ones to hold on to. Yeah, them? what's that? The, the remember the Sabbath? Yeah, like,
1: do not do anything on the seventh day at all. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> I use that all the time. I was
0: going to say, but how many of us probably love it? And how many of us are really, really, really bad at keeping it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, really bad. Especially.
1: About,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we, we we should be. Yeah. yeah. So, but.
1: Yep. All right. So, we're going to jump into that. And we're going to get, again, I keep on saying my favorite. It's all my favorite. But this is another favorite part. And that's the tabernacle. So, we're going to jump. To that in Exodus 25 through 31 and those chapters we see where God gives Moses the precise and exact detail on how to build this tabernacle, how to even close the priests and how to make even incense and oils and how to get this tabernacle constructed right Do we know why God instructed Moses to have this tabernacle built? any ideas? So God, right because Jesus wasn't around yet. So at this time, God didn't really live in hearts. That's what Jesus came for. So they needed this tabernacle. They needed this structure where they could go, where God would be, where they could worship. That's in the New Testament. When we have Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross. Then we have the chances that he can be in our our hearts, and then he's in our lives that way. Not necessarily having the tabernacle part of it. Um, you want me to kind of skip some stuff?
0: It's up to you. Go Keep going.
1: I love the tabernacle. So I got a picture. Um, I'm not a history buff, so don't mind my non-history stuff, but I really like it, so it kind of gives you an idea, just a black and white video or picture of what the tabernacle looked like. Um, so we just talked about it. So we talked about how Moses was up on the mountain with God. He got the um, instructions to build the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments. Stinking Israelites couldn't hold out. How long was he up there? Does anybody know? 40 days 40 he was only up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So in a little over a month, They came out, and they. this is exactly what they said to Aaron. Um, Let me find it. Verse 1 of chapter um, 32. We don't know what has become of him. Where did he go? Like, I picture, like, little kids being like, Mommy, where is Daddy? I lost him. You know what I mean? And in 40 days, they just were like, fuck it. Um, And we go back to having to say I'm sorry, Moses having to go back to God and, and trying to fix things. And it cracks me up because I think this is what you were talking about, Sharon. Is it at, what's 33 3 say? Is that my funny one? I think that was the one we were talking about with last night. Hold on. Yes, it was. Exodus 33 3. Yeah, this is what you were talking about earlier, Sharon, I think. I know I told you I was jumping through chapters like crazy.
0: 33 3? Yeah. All yeah, right. he got real. It says. Yeah, it says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, uh, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you... On the way. So
1: I had Elijah come out of his bedroom. I said, okay, Elijah, tell me, do you like Jesus more or do you like God? And he looked at me.
0: Well, they're the same. They're but the same. You, you, but I know what you're trying to get to, I think. And
1: he knew what I was getting to. I said, so I read him Exodus 33, 3 and he's like, I like the Jesus in the New Testament more. I said, yeah. I bet you do. <laughs> um, but he was done. There was no amount of sorrys that was going to fix it. But that's where we get to see Moses' character build. Because if we go back to Moses prior to the burning bush, do you think he would have stood up? He kind of stood up to Jesus or to God at that moment. He was like, God, I need more than an angel. I can't do this without you. You've got to walk with us and get us to the promised land. I don't know if pre-burning bush, Moses would have ever done that. I think he would have kind of cowered out. But we see where his character and his leadership has grown throughout all these chapters where where he begs and he pleads and he says, God, an angel is not enough. I need you. Um, so I thought that was really neat because, to me, that gives me courage to say, go big when we ask God for things. You know, Moses was willing to go big. I mean, God was done. He was like, that's it. I'll just start over. We'll do this again. And and Moses was able to almost kind of like talk him down a little bit, I think, you know, and and, and prayed and was able to get God to still stay with them. And not be the Almighty Smite, the Smiter that Curtis likes to say. <laughs>
0: um, mighty Smiter. The Mighty
1: Smiter. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let that me that see.
0: Mm, I think God, it's no a idea. Bruce Almighty or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bruce almighty. <laughs> um, great. I, I have a plethora. I, yeah. yeah I, I have a plethora of totally irrelevant movie quotes. He that can I carry remember with the most random all, things did you want to talk real quick about this oh, before we kind of wrap up for the night? So, um, well, uh, obviously we, we've done uh, just even here in, in two weeks trying to get through the book of Exodus. But one of the things that really starts to happen is obviously when Israel, uh, I, they come out of Egypt and they're the mumbling, complaining, groaning. They always kind of, they kind of continue on that to a certain extent. But you start to see... Uh, Remember that before that they were before Israel went into Egypt right they went into Egypt back at the time of Joseph because of a famine in the land when they kind of are coming into that time frame uh, what you actually see is that, that these people were relatively nomadic people okay. They go from like a relatively nomadic lifestyle where they're moving around to wherever there's uh, grazing lands for the livestock and wherever like supplies would have you uh, to now they get to Egypt and they stay to Egypt for a couple hundred years. And so out of Egypt, they kind of get in this like, you know, like you get when you go home, you go home and you walk in the door and you're like, oh, isn't it so nice to be home? Yes, I had a hard day at work today, but isn't it so nice to be here? And they kind of get in that mindset, that stationary mindset. Well, the next thing you know, obviously, they're out in the wilderness, and uh, they're wandering. Obviously, we know they wander for for forty years, and so out of this, you start to see that they kind of get back into that like that rhythm and habit following God following uh the leadings uh one of the really cool things i love to see in the wilderness and we i think i might have briefly mentioned it on sunday um i'm not sure because i get my sundays confused from time to time uh but uh, uh anybody know when they when they were out in the wilderness how they knew where to go anybody know Fire. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So so during the day, during the day it was uh, a, a cloud, a cloud of fire, or not cloud of fire, but it was like basically smoke. And then at nighttime it was like a cloud of fire that they would actually know, and they would go wherever it is. Well, in the midst of this, which is cool to see, imagine God kind of leading them in that way. But then they get the instructions on how to build the 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 tabernacle. And
1: can I just interject? Yeah. Go ahead. So Exodus chapter thirty-four is their redo chapter. So if you read Exodus 34, you read it previously because it's the second time God has given Moses. But it's important, and at first I was like, why is there a whole chapter that's just telling us the exact same thing we read two chapters ago? Because it's important. Because all the details, the inscriptions, and here's the reason why it was important. Because here's the thing, what if Moses had come up with this plan? You could say, yeah, it was God's. But who would we say? Well, Moses came up with that plan. We have two distinct chapters where God has given finite details down to the length of the priest wardrobe and everything. So only God and only God can get credit for every detail. So we can walk away thousands of years later and we can say, God created this, not Moses.
0: Yeah, and each Each element to the detail that's created to the, to the, like, and when she says the detail, like the lengths of the poles and the thickness of the curtains, Mm -hmm. like everything that you can fathom is literally spelled out and how to make it and what to make it. And to the, the detail, the detail is just incredible to see and to think that especially then as they were. In the wilderness, that they were moving around as they were going, going, uh, being led of God, that they would literally have to break this down, yeah. pack it up, move to the next spot, set it up, and and, and so to create. And I think though one of the things it's doing is it's creating a rhythm. What I think it's really intending is to help create a rhythm of worship where they can understand a little bit of the holiness of God, because again, you got the the different, uh, the different. Um, the different places here as far as the Holy of Holies versus just the Holy, uh, Holiness area. I'm trying to show that up here. Uh, and, you and can you so, I don't know if you think you can a little bit. So there's certain places, like for example, uh, the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant uh, would have been placed. Uh, this place here was only accessible uh, by the high priest. And it wasn't something the high priest went into all the time. It was only once a year that this would happen. And so there was systematic meaning to every single detail. In fact, uh, I don't know if anybody in here, if you know Pastor Bill Sammons, who founded uh, Eagle's Nest back in the day, he still uh, still does. I actually had the opportunity to sit uh, in a semester with him where he basically took a whole semester just teaching yeah. about the tabernacle, which was incredible to go into the detail. But, but if you... I know sometimes, especially if you, you don't really read this a lot, and you start reading, and you're just like, this is like some of the most boringest stuff ever. But it's incredible that the detail that goes into it, and even like we, we talked about earlier, the amount of stuff that Israel brought out of Egypt with them, guess what, not, not all of it, but guess what a lot of it went into? It went into help making all of this stuff. So it was literally the idols from which they brought out of melted down into things that were now dedicated to serving the God that delivered them, that delivered them from slavery, and that would bring them into the land of promise. And so it's really incredible. And I'll see if maybe, especially as we go on here, if we can maybe even dedicate a little bit more time to where we can break that down, uh, which we won't have time for that tonight. But uh, what else did you want to have Um, as as we were wrapping up?
1: So... Chapters 35 through 39 is the building and the construction of the tabernacle. It took them approximately six months to complete the first construction of it. And like Curtis talked about, it was everything they had brought out of Egypt. So I want you to think about that. If you read through those details, and I have that one on the next slide to kind of give you a breakdown. I have it in weight because, I don't know, hopefully you can see it. Because that blew my mind. I already knew it would be crazy to convert it into dollars for today. But the pounds as well, it's crazy to think about. That this is stuff they were carrying with them. No car, no trailer, no storage shed, you know, maybe a wagon. I guess they had wheels back then, right? Maybe a wagon with wheels, (laughs) right? Uh, I'm from Sussex County. History wasn't my my plus. But, I mean, you've got 6,600 pounds of silver, 1,900 pounds of gold, 4,600 pounds of bronze. That's just the material. That's not... The the curtains, that's not all the different things. That's just the actual metals that they carried. Um, And it just kind of blew my mind to think they've been traveling all this time. Like he said, they've carried all of these things with them. And at some point in time, do you think it crossed any of their minds? Like, should I just leave this here? What's it really going to benefit for us? And this whole time, God had an ordained purpose for all of those materials they left Egypt with. Um, That is how... The tabernacle was built. Um, chapter 40 is the last chapter in Exodus. It's the amazing, um, the last chapter of the story, but the story's really just unfolding in the other uh, books of the Old Testament. But chapter 40, you can kind of break down into three sections, um, and I'll do those really quick. So verses 1 through 16 is God's divine instructions um, with the tabernacle. Verses 17 through 33 is the implementation. They erect the tabernacle. They build it. They complete it. And then in verses 34 through 38, we see God's glory filling the tabernacle. Will you read verse 38? Verse 38.
0: Here we go. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was fire uh, in the cloud at night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels.
1: And that was how it concludes, but it just, God fills the tabernacle and he stays with them. And it says through all of their travels. Um, I thought it was really neat. If you don't know, you see on the announcements on Sunday, we have what's called a soap guide uh, that we try to get a lot of people to do. And it's just, you read one chapter of the book of a Bible once a day. And it's a great way to start getting into the Bible if you're not familiar with it. Um, And it's just a great tool to to dig into the Bible. So if you were following that this week, uh, the SOAP guide was in the book of Hebrews. Uh, And I think my Monday night one, or even my Monday or Tuesday night, we were in Hebrews 8. And I just want to read a couple verses because I thought it was really neat. Um, Hebrews 8, uh, verses 5 through 7. Do you have that? No, you don't. Oh, I got it marked. Um, and it says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Um, five through seven. Was I reading right? Oh, I started wrong. Hold on. Let me go back to verse five. They serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second.